1: Everybody out there in Internet land, it's your host Poser here for the Sneaky Good Podcast from SB Nations and the Valley Shook. Are we sponsored podcast? Not yet. Okay, maybe, I, I, maybe there so. are rumors. There are rumors. R- rumors abound. Oh, rumors abound. Um, and that, and it, of course, Mister Mister Junda is out on assignment this weekend. Um, and of course, that is our. Boss man in the back, Podcat, and also joining us with us is Max. Hey, how how's it going? It's going well. How are you?
0: You know, uh, just thinking about how LSU is not allowed to have incumbent stars. No, we're not. So, let's.
1: You know what? I was gonna. This was gonna be good news after I promised that we were gonna go through the catalog of Joy Division, um, in order to avoid completely depressing podcast. We were going to have happiness. We were going to talk about how great last weekend was. And instead, we're just brought back into Mudville. There is no joy in Mudville because the mighty Casey is on the injured reserve. So why don't you break the news? What, me? Yeah, why not? Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, Well, as the uh, chief resident of Doomville – LSU cornerback, star cornerback Derek Stingley, has is is aggravated the injury he suffered in fall camp, and Coach Ed Orgeron discusses, or, discusses him, um, labels him as, quote, very questionable, which sounds, quote, very bad. And this is why we're
1: not allowed to have nice things. And I know you were sending around a message to us earlier, which I don't want to share the whole thing with the group, but... You are right. It seems that LSU is somewhat cursed when it comes to its star returning player.
0: Every single every year except for Devin White and two thousand nineteen. Yeah, but the, the podcast and I were discussing this right before. Those guys weren't stars yet. They broke out in twenty nineteen. Kind of, they weren't like the incumbent guy, except for Delpit, who had problems.
1: Actually, that's right. I was going to say, 2019, we did have an incumbent star. We had Grant Delpit, and Delpit was hurt in 2019.
0: Yeah, and it kind of trashed his season. Same way it did Fournette's. Same way it did uh, Arden Keys, although that wasn't an injury. Same way it did uh, that running back we don't talk about.
1: Same year as Arden Key, though.
0: Right, which was a backbreaker, especially early in the season when you kind of have to bring the young guys along. That's that's tough. Yeah, but it's. Yeah. Yeah, if we can't beat Der- if we can't beat Mississippi State without Derek Stingley, you know we said this a year ago too. Uh, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, it is. And before we get into Mississippi State, uh, it does seem like it's a bad cloud, and I know we were drawing parallels last week to the Les Miles era, the end of the Les Miles era. Man, doesn't it kind of feel the same way that it's just these things that. Some things are problems that are within your control. I think uh, uh, some of the problems that this team has had have been completely within the control of Ed Orgeron, like developing talent. Yeah. But some things, it just feels like you're cursed. And that is very much like the end of The Miles Reign, where, yes, things within his control were going wrong, but also things completely outside of his control were going wrong. It's It's... Definitely a when it rains it pours kind of thing. Like even the the football gods hate you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's almost like the football gods are trying to get people fired. But like, I mean, the injuries this year have been laid on pretty thick. Uh, They have the last. I feel like the last few years as well. But this this year feels kind of crazy. Um, Yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty had a ton
1: of injuries as well. I mean, I mean we. Don't like to think of it that way because it's more of the COVID craziness and you had all the opt-outs. But on top of that, there were a ton of injuries.
0: Yeah, true.
1: And, but once again, last year, you kind of write a pass for everything. You're like, ah, eh, crazy year, whatever. But for the injuries to continue through this year, it, it's just – I don't even have a word for it. it. It's just weird.
0: Yeah, I mean like I just don't understand – how injury luck kind of works like i feel like i feel like some teams across all professional sports just get hurt more than others and that can't be a coincidence but like some of these injuries are you know not don't feel preventable like whatever happened to anthony like a season ending injury doesn't seem like it's preventable but like all these nagging injuries that lsu is always dealing with that just don't seem to get better over the year like there are a bunch of them every single year. It's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, it's also... It's like ankles. It's just... If you sprain an ankle, it's a short season. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you can play, but you're not going to be 100%. And I think that's been the big thing with LSU. Outside of the Andre, Anthony Andre which is just awful, particularly because he was having such a great game and yeah. really was presaging what could have been a great season for him. These injuries are... They're like these small little ones that just nag you. So you're not out. You keep playing. You're just not playing at a hundred percent. It's like the Leonard Fournette thing. Yeah. Like we were we yeah. were robbed of Leonard Fournette's junior year, and, and he Grant was Delbert's. he was really good his junior year. He just wasn't Leonard Fournette.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it really got that really kind of hit with Grant Delpit when he you know should have won the Thorpe Award in 2018 and then comes out, wins the Thorpe Award anyway. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, that was a reputation award. and also was yeah. because LSU was just winning all the awards.
0: Right, but I feel like he could have, should have just given it to Stingley at that point. But, like, I mean, it's – it. you know, I, I kind of justify it because he won the Thorpe Award. He deserved the year prior. But, like, I mean, he was he – was, during the middle of the year, he was close to unplayable because he was playing on one leg. And, like, you lose – Everything that made him such a great player. And the same was true about Fournette. The same was true about Arden Key uh, because he came back kind of out of shape and didn't really get back into shape. And
1: and that's the thing is they're not out. So you can't even say, well, he was hurt and missed the whole year. And that's almost – to an opposing fan, that's like more forgivable. Uh, No one's going to hold Andre Anthony. They're going to be like, oh, that's just a shame he was hurt. You know, he could have been great. But if you play through a nagging injury and your production, of course, declines because of the nagging injury – Opposing fans will kind of be like, ah, eh, well, he just wasn't that good.
0: Right, and it's going to hurt Stingley particularly because Kyir Elam at Florida is having such a great year. Um, and, like, Derek Stingley might lose. Like, we've been up, been penciling in Derek Stingley as the CB1 in this class for three years now, and that, that's, that may be up for debate at this point. At-
1: yeah, he was going to be a top-five pick, and this is the kind of thing that will drop you, particularly after last year, I mean, he was really good last year, but once again, he kind of played hurt last year. He opted out of some games, and I don't blame him at all because I, I would have too. And If I was his advisor, I would have told him to opt out of those games. Yeah. But now it's two straight years of injury problems, not terrible ones, but also opting out and things like that, and you know how the NFL is.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, like we saw Grant Delpit fall from obvious top ten pick to the second round uh because of that stuff. And I don't think Derek Stingley's gonna fall to the second round because he's such a special talent, but it's gonna be hard for NFL teams to justify using extremely high draft capital on a guy who had one great year two years ago. Yeah,
1: he, he might fall no out matter, of the top fifteen.
0: Right. No matter what the cause of those la- you know, latter two inferior years was, you're still a guy who only had one great year two years ago, and that's tough to invest in.
1: Yeah. And I kind of just—I mean, there's no way he's coming back. Right, let's no, I can't, I can't imagine, imagine. that. I, and again, if I was his advisor, I would tell him not to.
0: Um, Unless he yeah, drops yeah. out of first, because if he come, if he drops out, of, if he drops out of first round grade, I think he he's could come enough. back and like and become a top five pick again.
1: He, he's not dropping out of the first round. No, first. I don't think so. But he might drop out of the top half of the first round, and that's right. that's still a lot of money. Uh, I mean, so I feel. I do feel bad for the guy, um, but yeah, it does seem like just LSU's cursed when it comes to injuries right now. And, and while we're talking about injuries, I mean Miles Brennan.
0: Oh right. Well, that one's that one's definitely. We know that one's not LSU's fault because you know he, he slipped on a dock or something like yeah, that.
1: I mean, but like last year, he had an injury so unique. You know, it might go down as you know the Miles Brennan surgery, like Tommy John.
0: Yeah, that was uh that was unfortunate. He was having such a great year. I think a lot of their uh problems may have been masked. Yeah. But... And there's talk he's gonna come back. Uh and yeah, there's talk, but I feel like like they say he's gonna be ready for the Alabama game, which sounds like a terrible idea.
1: That sounds like a god awful idea, Kim. I mean, I know it's a month and a half away, but A guy's first game back against Alabama is just asking to get him killed.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, congrats on coming back from yet another injury for our program. We hate you.
1: I mean, maybe he could come off the bench if Max Johnson gets hurt against Alabama.
0: (laughs) I don't want him seeing that game at all. I don't want any of them playing in that game. The only Um, one I'm comfortable with is Max Johnson because I don't think he's the guy in the future.
1: Honestly, that's why I would play uh, you play Max Johnson, then Miles Brennan, just so you protect Nussmeyer from that.
0: Yeah, you, you don't want to ruin Nussmeier.
1: And yeah, and that kind of segues into the Central Michigan game. Um, Max Johnson had a really good game, and Nussmeyer. I mean, if anyone struggled, I mean, yeah, no one cared. It was the fourth quarter and limited playbook. He was playing with backups. But for all the talk about Nussmeyer, he hasn't really shown anything on the field yet. Like there's things you can latch onto of like he looks like the future quarterback but it hasn't translated into any actual production.
0: Yeah. I think people are frustrated that the offense had been struggling behind Johnson, which I get, but like, the problem is you can't put a true freshman in this offense without a good offensive line. Uh, And LSU does not have that, but yeah, I mean, Max Johnson looked a lot better. Uh, Everybody looked a lot better. They started throwing the ball down the field. Uh, They protected better, like a lot, a lot better. Now I don't expect that to continue against, you know, real teams, but like it didn't happen against McNeese either. So it was, I thought it was really encouraging. Uh, they didn't really do anything too, too different schematically. They, they did beef up the RPO game, which worked pretty well. Uh, started calling that a little bit more, but like, they yeah, they really kind of just tried to let it rip. And it really helps when you have, you know, a couple of freak receivers kind of emerge.
1: That was a bit, the biggest part of the game Yeah. that, uh, Smith and Besh really showed out, and we were talking about this last week about how disappointing the upperclassmen are. But it looks like we've moved on,
0: right? And 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 that's that that at least is encouraging because it's kind of like you know you have this big you know clear burn in a forest, and you start to see the little uh, the little I don't know the pine cones like break. I'm not I don't know anything about forestry. You know, and they, the pine cones break open after getting burned and stuff, and they start growing new trees. Uh Kind of feels like that. But LSU needed, at some point, a clear number two, like a, a second alpha receiver to emerge, uh at least if not for the immediate term for next season. Uh And that looks to be happening with either Besh or Deion Smith, or maybe both. both. That yeah, would be I stupid. mean, they-
1: it's one game, and it was Central Michigan, but they looked a ton better. And Besh had hinted it in, in his first game against UCLA, yeah, as well. So I, I think I think Jack Besh is for real. Um, yeah, but,
0: I, I thought I mean, that the whole time. I mean, like I, I ever since I watched the uh, his he and Walker Howard state championship game, I was like, I, I kind of thought it was crazy. This guy wasn't at least a high four star. He's like a low four star. It's kind of kind of wild.
1: And also quietly, uh Brian Thomas had two receptions for fifty yards, which makes him he's knocking on the door of uh Palmer and Koi Moore. Um on the season, Palmer has seventy seven yards receiving, Moore has seventy one, Thomas all of a sudden has sixty eight. He's he's moving into the third fourth receiver slot. Yeah, so we could is. have all freshmen behind Kishon Boutet.
0: Yeah, if it's even close, I see no reason to not play Brian Thomas Jr over either of those guys. Like the if if the future even looks to be now, I would say just pull the trigger. Like it's not like quarterback where you can really really ruin a guy by playing him yeah, no. too early. So I say I say you throw him out there. Like Deion Smith is clearly like even if he isn't as polished as a technician as he will be in a year, like we know the guy is athletic. We know he's big and strong, and that's going to that, that's gonna make a difference. Like, the guy is 6'3", 200. He's not going to be any less 6'3", 200 because he's a freshman.
1: Yeah, and also I think receiver is probably the position on the field where it's most easy to make an impact as a freshman.
0: That is true. That is true. That, I think, running back.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you just have to be really athletic. I mean, you have to be really good. I'm not trying to say it's easy to do it, but it's not like quarterback where you have to know the offense and there is a value to experience, or like the offensive line where there's a clear demonstrated value in age and experience. yeah,
0: for sure. You, even you see, even see that in the NFL, like there's a trend where offensive line more than any other position like struggle in their first two to three years and start to come on in like year four. a lot of times, it's kind of crazy. You don't see that really anywhere else. Like usually you know by year three, four, if somebody's good or not. Not really at line, so.
1: It's a hard uh, job. I mean. That's it's
0: right. it's kind of crazy.
1: We salute linemen. They are the best people.
0: Especially centers.
1: Especially centers. Actually, we've had a good run of centers at LSU, so. Yeah. I mean, just even historically, going all the way back, you know, the Moose Stewart on the 1958 team. That's, that's right.
0: That's a I mean, great name for a center. I made a
1: 1958 pull. Yeah, Moose Stewart. That's just awesome, so. We got to reference of the 1958 uh, National Championship on this podcast. And any
0: center any center at this point not named Moose Stewart, T-Bob A. Bear, or Lloyd Cushenberry is going to disappoint me.
1: Yeah, or, you know, Ben Wilkerson. I mean, like, even though that's not a great name, just great player. Um, so, you look at it now. They've now played their warm-ups. The UCLA game has lost some of its luster after UCLA lost to Fresno. Though... After watching the game, UCLA did have that thing won. It was more that they putzed around in the first half. UCLA came back and then let up that late touchdown. Yeah,
0: so, and their uh, and UCLA's quarterback decided to go full Justin Fields on him, get hurt, make a bunch of big time throws on that last drive, and also Fresno is good.
1: Yeah, yeah, Fresno is always a tough out. So it's not a horrible loss, but it's not a good look.
0: Like, I, I honestly think that had LSU played Fresno State, they may have been in some trouble, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what we thought the Central Michigan game was going to be. Right. Because, I mean, Central Michigan had given, you know, some trouble. But now we turn to the actual SEC schedule, and we kind of ease our way into it with Mississippi State. And this is very much of, if you can't beat State, it's going to be a long year.
0: Right, especially since there is a uh, clearly written – you know, pass it to the Italians level, simplicity blueprint to beat them. Yes. You know, you get, you get, you go, you get in three down, you rush three, you drop eight into zone, whether that's, you know, four deep and four under or three deep and five under or whatever, depending on, you know, what they've been calling and the situation and everything you drop eight. Uh, and then you can occasionally bring pressure if it gets to like third and ten, third and 11. Like you can really kind of go after their empty protections at that point. But if they go into – I wrote this in my uh, what to watch for preview. But if they get into four down and start playing cover one, I'm going to become the Joker. That's going to be a real breaking point for me.
1: Well, also, LSU so far this year – has been able to generate pressure without help from the linebackers. Right. If you look at it, their list of you know sack totals right now, uh, the only players who are not defensive linemen with sacks are Strong and Cameron Lewis, who's a safety. Right. So other than that, it's been all the defensive front. So LSU, once again, just UCLA and two traffic cones. But in their out-of-conference schedule – They look like a team that can generate pressure with just their front four.
0: Right, and I think that should become a front three against Mississippi State. Like, I think you – I know LSU is a four-down defense, but with Mississippi State, you almost have to treat it like a triple option team and start installing special stuff for them in the offseason. So I think you should have – even a four-down team should have a three-down installed. You play the tight front. You get Mason Smith at your four-eye tech, kind of back to the Dave Aranda days, and you just drop eight. And if you can get pressure with just those three, the game is over can immediately. We, can we just talk about how awesome Mason Smith is? Yeah, he's awesome. I, I I don't love him playing the edge because I think he's such a natural, you know, one or three technique. But like, he's awesome.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I admire that he lost all that weight. I think it was what fifty pounds. And... From when he was recruited, yeah, he's to... like down
0: to, he's like down to three hundred now though, which makes him again a perfect zero or one tech. I think he was just overweight at that point to play anything, but he's really gotten into shape. Um, yeah, he yeah. looks terrific.
1: I mean, he is dedicated, and it, it, the future's bright on the line. But also, BJ Ogilari is everything he's been promised to be.
0: Yeah, sort of. I mean, he's like I think his sack total is a little inflated because he's uh he's kind of cleaning up other people's pressures. And like, that's kind of the whole point. I mean, it... sort, of, sort of like <laughs> sack totals are a little bit, are a little bit volatile because you kind of end up crediting sacks to another guy who like not crediting the statistic, but another guy generates the pressure. You don't really beat your guy. And the quarterback takes a couple steps up right into your arm, something like that. And you didn't really do that much, but BJ O'Jolari's I think his pass rushing grade is in the seventies. So he's really solid. I think if he were a stand-up edge in a Dave Aranda system, I think he would be one of the best edge rushers in the country. Uh, I just think he's a little small to play I in the dirt defensive end because he's like 6'3", 250. I
1: agree. He, he's you know he he's definitely a three four linebacker, which will help him once he gets to the NFL, where just about everybody plays in three four. Um, but he's doing. I, I, you know, I don't think he – I think Mason Smith is clearly the better of the two. M- Mason Smith is – Yeah, Mason
0: Smith's the best player on that D-line already. And, oh, him and him and Jaqueline Roy. Uh,
1: and it's a, it's a shame to lose Andre Anthony because he was having a great year so far. And the scoop and score really kind of felt like a watershed moment for him. Yeah. For, you know, for a senior who's really had things – I don't want to say gone wrong in his career. I mean, the guy has a national championship ring, so let's, you know, not weep too many tears for him. Um, and he's probably going to go to the league, but he's never quite reached his potential. I think it's a fair thing to say about Andre Anthony, that he always felt like he could be a little bit more, and it seemed like he was finally reaching that. But still, even with even losing him, uh, you just look around that line, and it, there's just so many playmakers. And, yeah, you, you name Roy. I mean, Guillory is a, also as a freshman. He, he hasn't been as impactful as Mason Smith, but he's still – kind of clogging up the middle there. So I feel confident with him in there. It's a good one. That's one thing that has panned out this year so far. The line looks as good as promised. The problem is that level behind it.
0: Yeah. I mean, linebackers, linebackers are going to have a little bit of an easier week this week uh, because they don't like all they have to do is kind of, you know, drop into their zones. If LSU is doing things right and doing what they should be, all they'll have to do is drop into their zones, kind of take away, Take away those little crossing routes, and you know, come up, make a tackle in a small area, which is what you really want. But uh, yeah, I mean, they've—I'm kind of scared about them against Florida, a team that really, really runs the ball well. Um, but like, they—they they, they they, they, they kind of have—they kind of have to find answers because they're just shuffling through a lot of guys now.
1: And yeah, they also got in trouble against UCLA. I mean, that's
0: yeah, they got killed.
1: Uh, yeah, UCLA was able to run on them with ease, and a lot of it is. I think the defensive line was doing a good job, but if you get past the defensive line, it was off to the races.
0: Yeah, and they got attacked by tight ends in the passing game too on those deep crossers.
1: Yeah, which also feels like a linebacker issue. So I kind of feel like their running game defense is two-yard carry, two-yard carry, 20-yard carry.
0: Right. And and that's not – as fine as that seems – because of the other two yard carries, it's going to have to be two yard carry, two yard carry, and then like five more, and then then you can give up the occasional twenty yard, and it's fine. But like, I mean, they really have to be, they really have to be more sound, fitting their gaps at the second level, because, you know, if if the the blocking scheme has people accounted for at the first level, which it's going to, uh, you need those guys to clean stuff up, and they're and, they're out of their fits.
1: A yeah, lot. and you look at it, and you're like, how are they this bad? I mean, you just look at the roster. If, You know, you're like Damone Clark, Micah Baskerfield, Bug Strong. That's a good linebacking core. And we haven't even gotten into how good Mike Jones was supposed to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think he came back out of shape. He kind of looks out of shape. I shouldn't be be saying that, you know, because I'm sitting in a chair right now. But, like, you know.
1: Yeah, but even with that transfer looking like it's not going to work out. Um, And maybe it comes around. But let's just assume it's not going to work out at this point. That's still a good starting rotation. You know, you look at, you know, Clark Baskerville is strong, but I'm not saying that's the best linebacker trio in the conference, but it certainly shouldn't be near the bottom.
0: Yeah, I mean, the highest graded linebacker is Baskerville with a 66.3 defense grade, which is, I mean, he's 62.8 in coverage and 65.4 in run defense, which is not terrible, but it's not great for your best linebacker.
1: Yeah, and you know, you look out after that. It's Greg Penn is the only other official linebacker listed with a tackle at this point. Yeah, so there's just no depth.
0: Yeah, they 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 can't they can't lose anybody, but at the same time, like they need their starters to start playing like starters too.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 the whole unit's bad, and, and you know we've we've been looking at the offense and. I don't want to say the offense is fixed because
0: it's not. It's not. It's The, the problem still exists. They, they they still have to change their philosophy or else like D coordinators like Zach Garnett this weekend or, and Mike Elko at AM are going to tee off on them.
1: Well, yeah. We're not even going to worry about Mike Elko yet. But you can at least look at the offense and say, even though they haven't fixed it, you can at least say from the Central Michigan game, hey, this is what a functional LSU offense looks like. So they've at least taken that first step towards fixing it. Di- Diagnostic is... Honestly, one of the biggest things, like, because I think like, if you look at the Les Miles era, there was a long period of denial. And even last year, there was just a long period of denial about what was going on. It, it seemed Central Michigan, LSU's offense came out there and said, hey, we recognize these are the problems. This is how we're going to try to fix it. This is what a good LSU offense would look like. So not there, but at least they're walking in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say they, they fixed it a little bit. They fixed some stuff. Uh, they, they're still not, you know, taking as many, you know, play action, heavy protection, deep shots as I'd like them to, uh, wasn't trying-
1: built in a day, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I don't think, I, and I don't think they had like, they built their offense that way this off season. So it's going to be tough to fix, but like, yeah, it, as far as this season goes, like that's kind of what it'll have to look like They're starting to leave some guys into chip a little bit more. Uh, they're trying, they're at least trying to throw the ball down the field. And they're they're finally kind of playing the best receivers,
1: and also I think they're paying the best running back. They've gone on to Corey Kiner. And, yeah, Corey Kiner's got to play, and also they've just kind of abandoned the running game. I mean, even though Kiner looked like the best running back, it's not like he was tearing up for hundred yards. It, it, this is a team that's going to chuck it on almost every down.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of tough at least now because teams will defend you like they defend Mississippi State. Yes, um, which which starts to become a problem. Um, or they'll just blitz the hell out of you.
1: Yeah, like, which is one of those we'll get to that kind of problem. But my main point of bringing up the offense is, well, I'm not going to say it's fixed. You can at least see the direction of fixed. You know, there are, right. the defense, you're, you're still looking at it going, they need to fix this linebacking core. Something needs to happen now. And then you look at the secondary, which was also supposed to be a team strength, and you're missing Derek Stingley. And how does that play out?
0: Yeah, I mean I, I like Dwight McLaughlin because I thought he had a great spring game and a bit, the reports were that he had a fantastic spring practice. He's also 6'3, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but like that's 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 another issue that's gonna get exposed really quickly if it if it doesn't get filled out. I mean like they need I they, I definitely think they need answers at safety because like I mean, they're playing Todd Harris. Well, Todd Harris hurt too? Yeah, I think um, so.
1: I don't know if he's out, but I think he's hurt. I mean, Cameron yeah. Lewis is, you know, God. It's...
0: Cameron Lewis back for his 14th year of college. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: God love him. I mean, that's a guy who plays hard. He's a program guy. I, I actually like guys like that, but you know, he can't start.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's, t- it's tough to start him. Uh, they're also playing... I mean, they're also – they haven't really played Sage Ryan at all. I don't know what the deal is with him. I don't know if he's got an injury or something.
1: Yeah, that's the one that shocks me. Yeah, You're you're right that. Sage Ryan has got to see the field at this
0: point because – Unless he's hurt, of course. Yeah. We don't know about it. Like they're also playing – they're also playing – I'm looking at the snap counts right now. Jordan tolls a little bit. Uh, Major Burns has kind of been a disaster area with his – is 27.4 tackling grade and let's see what his coverage grade is coverage grade is 38 so that's rough
1: what i like about major burns is even with those numbers he's second on the team in tackles which says everything you need to know about how the defense is played
0: yeah that's all that's that's the product of a lot of snap counts right there
1: you do um, not you do not want your safety to be your second leading tackler
0: no because that yeah that and means unless you're playing single high all the time which they are a decent amount but he's I don't really know if he's the box guy.
1: I mean, unless he's he's Grant Delpit, you don't want your safety to be doing that, you know, getting that many tackles. That says bad things. And yeah, Major Burns having a ton of tackles just scares scares the heck out of me right now.
0: Yeah, especially since he's got like a tackling grade in the 20s.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like he's not even good at tackling. So this is a guy who's basically – He's making a touchdown-saving tackles when he can manage to do it.
0: Yeah, or he's just handing the team touchdowns.
1: Yeah, or exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I I I don't know why Sage Ryan isn't seeing the field, but if he can see the field, I think they need to get him out there. They're starting to get Derek Davis a few more snaps, so I think you know I hope that continues as well. But like they've they've got problems at everywhere that's not corner, and now they kind of have problems like. Uh, and the D line. The D line's great.
1: Yeah, D line's uh, great. I um, yeah, Eli is. Ricks is a great corner. I, I, I like Flot as a your third corner, but yeah,
0: Flot Flot needs to play inside though, because if he gets out, if he gets moved to the outside for any reason, he gets killed. He's like 170 pounds.
1: So, yeah, so you got to play McLaughlin out there now. It's it's his time.
0: Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm
1: not that concerned about him. At least not no, in the State. I, I think he's a good corner. So I'm not. He's not stingly, and I don't want to pretend that he is. But he's also not a guy that. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe we're gonna play him at corner. You know, if, if you went into the season and your top two corners were Ricks and McLaughlin, you'd feel good about that. That might be
0: the plan next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you'd be like, hey, that's a good you know, that's a good unit. But when you thought it was gonna be Ricks and Stingley, it, it is a it's a giant step back.
0: Yeah, getting robbed of that basically, because last year we didn't have a functional defense and Stingley had nagging injuries from camp. This year, Stingley's got nagging injuries again. Being robbed of that, being robbed of the last two years of Derek Stingley, that's. I think we're going to talk about that as a fan base for a real long time.
1: Yeah, that's going to be something that stinks. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to get tied into Grant Delpit. Because, I mean, Delpit did win the title, but I think it's going to be seen as kind of like that extension of, like, you, we never saw Grant Delpit perfect. Well, I guess 2018. but Yeah, he
0: was – Best defensive player in the country that year.
1: You wish he would have had that 2019 year. Like, it, it, and We're going to look back on the 2019 team as you know the greatest team of all time. And it's missing two pieces. One, Grant Delpit, because he was hurt, isn't quite the player he could have been. And also, it doesn't have Devin White, who, of course, was playing in the NFL. But you kind of wish Devin White was on that team. Yeah, right? he
0: should have been on that team. I think well, 20- he because he made a bunch of money, but...
1: Yeah. I think 20 years from now, people will mentally move him to that team, mm-hmm. sort of in a way that two thousand you forget, 2011, Peterson was already gone. That yeah. uh, Peterson and Matthew had, were no longer playing together. It's just, you know, and I mean, you know that he wasn't on that team. But at the same time, it kind of feels like he was just because that was the perfect secondary where, you know, you had Peterson, Claiborne, Matthew, Brandon Taylor, Eric Reed. I mean, that's just. Was Ron crazy. Brooks. I, I mean, that's. It's weird that that secondary actually existed in college.
0: Yeah, and they were on offense. They had Jordan Jefferson and Jarrett Lee at the same time, which is. I mean, on one side, you. It's it's like it's like you got a car with the front wheels of a Ferrari and the back wheels of like a a Jetta.
1: It's like an El Camino just sitting there, just fishtailing in the back. All right, kids. For those of you who don't know, an El Camino was a station wagon that was built like a truck, so it had a flatbed.
0: All right, I only know that because that's the Breaking Bad movie.
1: See, there you go. Oh yeah, um, the Breaking Bad me- movie is El Camino, but I don't think they're talking about the car.
0: I don't know. They're just, you know, Jesse was wandering around the West the whole time. Yeah. wasn't really much of a movie.
1: Oh, don't you don't you knock El Camino? I thought, I'm a big fan of I'm a fan of that one. I think that wrapped up the series quite well.
0: You know what kind of took me out of it? And this is a bad, bad reason. It's Uh, all
1: right. Before you say this, my wife doesn't like the movie Snowpiercer because they uh, misattribute the uh, chair. orchestra. She says, they said, I play first chair, and there was no first chair in that orchestra. And my wife was like, I'm out. I'm like, this is a movie with a perpetual motion machine, you understand? And you're mad about the nomenclature of orchestra. So... You can be angry about a movie for any reason you want.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I just don't get why Todd looked like he was like a different guy from the end of the series. It kinda of ruined it for me. Yeah,
1: because Jesse Pinkman just, you know, just got he bulked up. What are you gonna do?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I kinda I you know, the reason I the other reason I kinda hate it is because I wanted to find out what happened to Sky after after the series and whether or not she went to prison, and we didn't.
1: Yeah, no, I I think it was Jesse Pinkman's story. I like that they focused on him, because I think he's, as much as the show focused on Walter, I I think Jesse Pinkman is actually the arc of the series. So it was nice for him to get resolution beyond just screaming like a banshee like he does in the finale. So I like that. (laughs) But but also, Better Call Saul, big fan.
0: Oh, that show's great. That show's awesome.
1: Which is weird because I think it's one of the best portrayals of lawyering on TV. That first season where he's going around and he's like getting clients and he's running bingo and stuff like that and doing all the elder care stuff. Yeah. That is – or when he's going to the courthouse and he's on the wheel and he's just picking up these, you know, penny-ante cases for like 75 bucks and things. I'm like that is what it's like to be a lawyer. I was like, God, they they nailed that. It's not all those other shows where it makes it look like you know, you're know you arguing in front of the Supreme Court every week.
0: Yeah, I'm Better Call Saul is amazing.
1: Yeah, so there. We have our TV recommendations for you. Better Call Saul. I know we're the <laughs> first people to ever yeah, say yeah. that's a good show. But we will be watching Mississippi State this weekend. Do you have any feeling about the game?
0: Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like that episode of The Office where Michael had the uh, the two the two videos filmed for depending on uh, whether or not I think Holly had a boyfriend. Uh, if if LSU drops just you know recognizing what's pragmatic, sees what the other teams have done, drops eight, play zone, uh, three man rush, LSU is going to win. LSU will win the football game unless they get like shut out which is somewhat of a possibility I wrote about that in the uh in the uh what to watch for this defense is a bad matchup for what lSU does offensively uh and Zach Arnett is very sharp so that could go that could go south uh but there is a little bit of a talent gap considering we've seen lSU's uh talent show at receiver over the last week so that so you know who knows but if LSU drops eight they'll probably win. Now, this is a team that lost to Memphis and struggled with Louisiana Tech. Yeah, right. But, you know, they kind of did stuff like that last year, too.
1: That's true. And they beat NC State. They they beat the Wolfpack like a drum.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they did. But if LSU does what they need to on defense, they should win. If they don't, they're probably going to lose.
1: Yeah, that's a – thank you. Uh, um, God, that's a – Very sports night analysis right there.
0: I mean mean schematically. Like if they do what they did last year and they do what they've kind of been doing so far at the start of the year, they'll lose. If they do what's practical, when other teams do, they will win.
1: I'm going to say the state's a bad team. Yeah, but they They, were a year ago. Yeah, they were too. Um, But this is a bad team. They they had lost. Yeah, they, they ended up winning by a point. But they were beaten by Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech outplayed them for four quarters until their coaching staff just decided to play to lose. Um, They were beaten by Memphis. They are averaging, um, I think, like, yeah, 5.7 yards per play on offense, which is more than LSU, but is still terrible. This is a bad team that really can't do anything well. And if LSU can't beat Mississippi State, buckle in, folks, it is going to be a long, long year.
0: That is all true. It's all true.
1: Uh, this is one of those you-have-to-win games. Uh, not just from a standpoint of, hey, you need the win, but this is a standpoint of just to show everyone in the fan base that you can beat a team like this, that you're still miles ahead of Mississippi State. You know, we can worry about Texas A&M and how great their defense w- looks, You know, Florida, Ole Miss. Uh, that's a problem for another day. But you have got – to beat this state team cuz they are not good.
0: Yeah, they really do. Uh and I was I wrote about this as well uh, in the piece that's going to come out probably by the time this is out that this is sort of, you know, a symbolic opportunity to repudiate, you know, the poster child of your year a year ago. Like yes. the symbol of their season was getting 623 you know, passing yards dropped on them by KJ Costello, who was benched by midseason. Like that is the enduring symbol of 2020 LSU football. And if you can go out and you can show that you have learned and you can beat this inferior opponent, hope you know, preferably comfortably, then you can really make a little bit of a case that you've put 2020 in the rear view. If you can't and you lose in a similar way, we know that's who you are now.
1: Yeah. And also look, they're not putting 2020 in the rear view with this game, no matter what happens, unless they win by like 50 points, which no, isn't they can, do, happen. They,
0: can, they can do, you know, they can do, they can make a symbolic attempt at it.
1: Yeah, like it 2020 is a specter that is just looming over the season right now. I, I think the UCLA game ensured that, at least for a while. And until LSU can reel off three or four more wins, 2020 is in the back of everybody's mind.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But if you lose this game, yeah, 2020, it, it's no longer looming. It's out of the closet and eating the children. <laughs> uh, the boogeyman has busted out and become real. It, it's I, I don't want to go this far because I hate predictions like this, but I'm going to do it anyway because, hey, it's a podcast and you're supposed to stay outlandish shit. So here you go. If LSU loses this game, Ed Ortron's getting fired.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I said in my piece that he should be fired. Well, I don't know about the pragmatics of this, but he should be fired by Monday, or at least the decision should be made. I won't go as far as saying that they're going to announce it, but it's
1: happening because yeah. there is no way to bounce back from that unless you run the table, which isn't happening. Because if you lose to the Mississippi State, there's no way you're good enough to run the table.
0: Yeah, especially considering you have to play Alabama.
1: Yeah. And look, hell, you have to play A&M and Ole Miss.
0: I mean – Florida.
1: I, I, what's weird is Florida doesn't scare me quite as much, but have
0: you seen Ole Miss? Yeah. Have I, you- I mean, Look, they run the best offense in the country schematically, uh, and their defense looks at least a, a little bit better, which makes a big difference. As for Florida, all of a sudden they kind of scare the crap out of me because it looks like they can play defense again.
1: Yeah, they can play defense, but their quarterback's still terrible.
0: Um, yeah, but on- like, like they went and scored 29 on Alabama anyway.
1: Yeah, that's true, but they were – I know everyone's trying to say this is the end of Alabama, and I do think you have questions on Alabama's defense for this, but Alabama did run out 21-3 to in that game and then just kind of lost a little bit of interest. That's mainly because this isn't the Alabama of before, but I think it was more of a focus thing than a talent thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, but Florida was able to – like Florida out – the scary thing is that Florida really out-schemed them in the run game. It's not like they had guys in the right place and they were just, you know, lazily getting blocked. Like they got – uh, they got worked by Dan Mullen.
1: And, and also while we look at it, when we talk about bad offenses, Texas A&M's offense is terrible as well. Yeah, so they're, they're vulnerable too. Uh, that defense is awesome. I mean just awesome. But they probably should have lost to Colorado and Colorado's not good either.
0: Yeah, but I, by the time LSU plays them Haynes yeah, they'll, they'll be them.
1: they'll be at full strength. Uh, yeah, it's going to take them a while to figure it out, but I think by November they'll know what they're doing. Um So A&M is a team you want to play now rather than later. I I think the same thing with Florida. And also, remember, there's kind of an Alabama effect. Florida's throwing their best punch. That's true. We're probably not going to get Florida's best punch. I mean, they could say they're up for the game, but no one right now is circling LSU on the calendar. Except for maybe Ole Miss, just out of general principle.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a – I'm not looking forward to that one. That's going to be rough.
1: Right now it looks like Ole Miss is going to take us behind the woodshed. I mean, just...
0: Uh, I think in a way,
1: Alabama. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm more afraid of the Ole Miss game than the Alabama game. And I well, hate I mean, saying because that.
0: Baked it, I feel like we've baked it in that LSU is going to lose to Alabama by, like, 30.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I think we're going to lose to them by, like, two touchdowns and maybe three, and he'll call off the dogs and we'll lose. And that'll yeah. be it. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, Kiffin, calling off the
1: dogs. Yeah, yeah Kiffin doesn't call off the dog. I mean, and they remember, you know, games from... 10, 15 years ago. Remember when we kneeled the ball on the one-yard line? They remember that shit.
0: Yeah. They, they um, certainly remember losing last year to a team in their worst ever season.
1: Yeah. This is an old Miss. Ole Miss is a fan base that's still mad about the 1972 football game. I mean, put your clocks back two seconds and all that kind of stuff. I mean, th- Ole Miss, I mean, they live to beat us. They don't a whole lot, which is why they now focus on Mississippi State. You know, lower your expectations. I understand that. But now that they have a really, really good team, they can go back to their true hatred of hating LSU. They they want to run it up. And they have a coach who's going to play to the fans and try to try to humiliate us.
0: Oh, my God. They're going to get killed. They're going yeah, to let, get killed. I don't can't believe the- for Alabama Ole Miss, though. I can't, that I can't wait for. Them.
1: Don't you like being preemptively scared of the Ole Miss game? Like, when does that ever happen?
0: Honestly, what? I'm scared of the Arkansas game too.
1: <laughs> well, let's not even talk about Arkansas, but uh, um, yeah, and Arkansas is looking pretty good right now.
0: Yes, I um, think what like 17. I don't. I didn't even check the rankings.
1: Yeah, Arkansas has played really, really well. I, I don't know if that's for real. And and once again, this gets back to everything. This is why the Mississippi State game is so critical. Yeah, for sure. They are clearly the worst team in the West if it's not us. And if LSU loses this game, they are clearly the worst team in the West. And yeah, I,
0: I can't disagree with that.
1: And that is a mighty, mighty fall. Yeah, and it really. Once is. again, and that's, yeah, you start looking for a new coach. There, there's just no other way. It is an unrecoverable loss.
0: So, Especially yeah. when, you're, when you're kind of boat racing the rest of the West, not name Alabama uh, and and m in uh, blue-chip ratio. Like, LSU is yeah. way more talented than Arkansas, way more talented than Ole Miss, way more talented than Mississippi State. And, you know, they're in the conversation for worst team in the West right now.
1: I think that's the biggest thing. Is like, if you just look at the rosters, LSU is clearly the second-best team on paper. You just look down at it, you're like, wow, this – If you knew nothing else and you just looked at who they had, you're like, wow, this is the team that's going to challenge Alabama. Maybe um, you could make a case for A&M or Ole Miss because A&M is a really good defense and Ole Miss because they have a really good offense and you can leverage that. But LSU should be the team that's good at both. And you look at it and they're not. And that is a complete indictment of the coaching staff right now.
0: Yeah, it really is.
1: So, hey, look, you have three games to warm up. And – At the end of the day, no one really cares what happens in the UCLA game. It's an out-of-conference game. It doesn't actually affect the SEC standings. This team wasn't going to win the national title anyway. So that's not a game-changing loss for the program. Mississippi State would be. This is the game. So if you're looking for a reason to watch, this might be the biggest game of the season. And that in and of itself
0: is a failure. For sure. It should be Alabama every year. So maybe Florida.
1: I mean, I'll yeah. Know. Well,
0: Florida's coming to Baton Rouge. Like I remember hearing like discussion. Oh, how great is you know the environment in Tiger Stadium going to be if LSU and Florida are both undefeated going into that game? And I mean, like, man, that would have been that would have been nice. Yeah. So
1: obviously, that's not going to happen. But if you if you're undefeated in SEC play, it's still a huge game because you're still,
0: true.
1: you know, you're still on pace for things.
0: So you'd have to be Auburn too first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned Auburn um so lsu has got to win this weekend and with that i think we only have one question this week and that well actually it was a two-parter of uh let's see jacob hibber asks is florida legit or is bama
0: suspect i mean bama's never suspect
1: like Bama's always
0: suspect. They're only suspects <laughs> by Alabama standards, which is not suspect. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Florida is really good, actually.
1: Yeah, I-, I would say I do think there's some overreaction in the post game, which always happens. Um, like I said, I think Bama, they were killing Florida and they let them back in the game. This was kind of a let them up off the mat game, uh, which are kind of weird, both statistically and stylistically. Yeah. Um, I think Alabama was on their way to boat racing Florida and then just somehow lost the thread somewhere. That said, Alabama of a year ago, 2 years ago does not allow 29 points to Florida in a close
0: game. Yeah, probably not in a close game, no.
1: I mean this this Florida this Alabama team is clearly not as good as they've been.
0: That's now, true, but nobody. That else said,
1: that's the big thing is no one else is. You look around the league. Uh, our, I, I think I said this last week. My, you know, my wife we were watching. You know, when Arkansas was pummeling Texas, is Arkansas that good, or is
0: Texas that bad? I mean, Ohio State got taken to the fourth quarter by Tulsa.
1: Yeah, I just don't know. Oklahoma is getting taken to the fourth quarter by everybody.
0: Yeah, they look rough. Oklahoma and, looks rough uh Clemson looks horrendous they they're they offense right now their offense is worse than ours it's legitimately worse than ours in a lot of the same ways but like they their quarterback should be more talented than this and they're just they're calling the same like three pass concepts over and over and over they won't throw to the middle of the field and like th- this offense is worse than LSU's in design their offensive line is kind of just as bad like I don't know how that happens to Clemson. They have one of like they have a below average offense nationally. Yeah, you
1: you look around the league, not just around the SEC,
0: but just around college football.
1: No one looks that great. Everybody has question marks now. There's some teams that are kind of playing above their weight from what you expect normally. Like Iowa looks really good right now. Yeah, Um, but honestly, Iowa I think was kind of a sneaky a sneaky good team from last year. Um, But you look at it even though Alabama doesn't look like they were last year and the year before, they don't have to be because they're not competing against 2019 Bama. They're competing against 2021 college football, and there's just not another juggernaut out there. So, And if you look around the SEC, even though I don't think the league is quite as strong as it was in years past, you still have a couple of teams that just look really, really good. And we've gotten into it like Ole Miss, that offense is great. Normally they would get punished for not having a defense, but I don't think anyone can take advantage of it this year. Same thing with a And M; that defense is great. In a normal year, they get punished for that offense, but who's going to do it? And so it's—I don't think it's that Florida is. I think Florida's legit in the sense that no one's that great this year.
0: Yeah, relative to the rest of college football, I think they get—I think they get killed by a lot of teams from a year ago or the year before that. And, but the thing is, I think this is what college football kind of used to be. Yeah, it's, yeah, we got used to the four, four or five teams looking like – Amazing. That was an outlier.
1: Yeah. The 2016-2020 period is a complete outlier in college football history. And it kind of skews the way we've looked at everything. So it's kind of good they're all coming back to the
0: pack. Oh, I'm, I'm, I am – like we all do like watching when two juggernauts play each other. I don't care. I like it. I like a world where Iowa you know, might go win the Big Ten despite Ohio State having a roster of NFL players. That would be really fun.
1: Yeah, look, it makes the national championship game better, but this is what makes the college football season better. So I'd I'd rather have the top teams not be quite as good if it means a better season. And And right now it looks like we're on pace for a great year where anybody can beat anybody kind of thing. And Um, I think it was – was it Virginia Tech who came out and had a big win to start and then – what, they beat North Carolina and then dropped to West Virginia who lost to Maryland. We're already kind of getting a a daisy chain of uh, losses, which are going to be kind of fun at the end of the year.
0: UCLA beat LSU then lost to – well, that might not mean anything, but beat LSU and then lost to Fresno State. Um, Ohio State lost to Oregon and then almost lost to Tulsa. And then
1: Oregon – Struggled in their first game.
0: Yeah, they... uh I, they, who
1: they, I can't even remember now. Um Oregon, because they did not they look good. By, they
0: beat somebody bad by seven.
1: Yeah, so it's just kind of... You, you look around the country, everybody's kind of looking not that strong. You know, we talked about a and they, they looked great last week, but the week before, they barely beat Colorado. I
0: mean, Colorado. I mean, they haven't
1: been good in a very long time. So, yeah.
0: Oh, they beat – oh, you know, Oregon beat Fresno State week one by, by seven. So Fresno State is really good.
1: Yeah. So it, you kind of look around the league and it's just uh, – of oh, the country. There's just not – I mean, Georgia might be the best team in the country, and that's just terrifying to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, if they can get some of their receivers back and actually, like, attack downfield, which they didn't do in the Clemson game, they're probably right now the best team in the country.
1: God, you know, and – or, I mean, I just want to throw it out there. They haven't played anything good yet, but one of the best offenses in the country right now is in Waco.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to be a little skeptical of that. Yeah, that yeah. said, Jeff Grimes, pretty great.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that Aranda guy can coach a defense, so I'm just saying.
0: Oh, you know, I, wish, I wish those were our coordinators right now, Jeff Grimes and Dave Aranda.
1: Well, Aranda's the head coach, so.
0: I know, but I wish he was the coordinator.
1: But it, I mean, you look at it, you're, you know, everyone's talking about the Big 12. is going to be Oklahoma, Iowa State. That was kind of the whole – preseason thing, and now you're looking at it, and you're like, they still, I mean, look, their best win so far is Kansas, so I don't want to get way ahead of ourselves, but they are thrashing teams, and that's the mark of a good team, when you play those terrible teams to absolutely destroy them. Right. And
0: it's certainly a well-coached team, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the difference. There's a good contrast, and the reason I'm bringing up Baylor is because of Aranda leaving here. Baylor looks like a team that doesn't have a ton of athletes. I mean, they have a good track program, so they get a lot of fast guys. So they're not bereft of talent, but they're not anywhere close to the blue chip ratio. They seem to be playing above their talent level. And LSU is a team loaded with talent, playing well below their talent level. And at the end of the day, you gotta point at coaching staffs. Yeah And With that, I don't think we have anything else. But I don't want to be, you know, I kind of want to end on something at least a little positive. Now that we've, you know, said that Orgeman's job's in jeopardy and that if LSU doesn't win this game, they're going to lose out. Well, maybe not lose out, but they're in deep trouble. I do think this team is really, really talented and they're going to win this football game. I think you're going to see a lot of effort. I think the players in that room know this game matters and they're going to show up.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they're put in a position to, if they play cover one the whole game against an air raid team, they're going to get beat. But if they have learned, they shouldn't. And, you know, another positive thing, Deion Smith looks, I mean, legit reincarnation of Terrace Marshall, and not just because he wears number six. I thought about that. I thought maybe I was just kind of conflating the numbers, but, like, the guy's 6'3", you know, 200, similar build, long strider, good deep threat, dominant at the catch point. So, like, that's that was a big, big sign to see.
1: So, if they do lose this game, the Sneaky Good Podcast becomes entirely about women's soccer. So, we'll see you next week. And if we're talking about the LSU-Ole Miss game, it's because LSU lost to Mississippi State on the gridiron. And with that, go time.